Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and it's been a while since Crypto 101 just chatted about the space, about what's going on, the future, the present, the past, our likes, our dislikes, and we thought it was about time. So myself, Mr. Aaron Paul of ICO 101, and our friend, Mr. Jake Ryan, who brings over 20 years of professional experience in software technology to the world of crypto asset investing, decided to have a candid, unscripted conversation about the space. And I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. Before we get into that conversation, please go to Crypto101podcast.com, join us on our social medias, subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a rating and a comment, think about becoming a Patreon, and feel free to reach out to myself or Aaron Paul about anything you like. Now, without further ado, here is Mr. Aaron Paul, Jake Ryan, and myself, chatting about the crypto space. Aaron Paul, sir, how are you doing? What's up, Matthew? I'm all right. Thank you. Hey, man. Long time no talk. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. What have I been doing lately? Yes, yeah, sir. World Masters, IBJJF, going to sell my house, buying some other rental properties, reading a bunch of crypto stuff. That's about it. You're also going to have another baby, aren't you? Oh, yeah. we got a baby on the way. Dude. One of those little things. Yeah, you know, just you're not doing nothing lately. We're here with Mr. Jake Ryan. Jake, how are you doing today, sir? Good. How's it going, guys? Nice to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Jake, we're really happy to meet up, you. Dude? you. You reached out to us, and we have basically today is just an open format show. We're going to get to know you a little bit. But we have so many topics and some gripes and some opinions and some ideas that we just want to get off our chest and well man after wrapping up with you we're like yeah we got to wrap up with this guy on the air on crypto 101 but before we go into that jake introduce yourself a little bit my name is jake ryan i run a crypto hedge fund called tradecraft capital my background let's see i got a degree in computer science and for most of my career i was a software developer and had a technical background. I published a, a paper. I think now it has probably 600 or more Google citations. And so most of my career uh, was in the technology field. I ran a consulting firm and did a lot of custom application development. When crypto came around, I really saw the intersection, a uh, technical skill set and a passion for investing. So uh, I started investing in Bitcoin in 2016. And from there, I really just built up more conviction in 2017 and started a fund in early this year, which ended up being tough, but made that transition. And now we're here. Right on, right on. Tell us about your Bitcoin trading journey. Yeah. So, I mean, 2017 was a, an interesting year that, you know, there were ups and downs. We actually had a period of 30 or 40% drop in, in Bitcoin in the summer, but there was a, obviously a period of big gains. And so I did, I did pretty well. I think one of my best trades was probably EOS. I started buying that early summer. I think it started at about $1.50. And I really just kept dollar cost averaging into that position. Ultimately, it kept it was going down $1.25. Dollar, and ultimately, I think it bottomed out around $0.53. Cents. And so I was looking at you know 60% losses, but really just continuing that conviction and dollar cost averaging into that position. So I had quite a bit of EOS and then things turned around for, mm -hmm. for that coin around September and started to see some massive gains. I was able to sell EOS at one point hit almost uh, $20. So we're talking about an average position in at maybe 83 cents and, and being able to sell along the way at points uh, up to $20. So that was a good trade for me. That was, you know, a 10 X or at least. So the beginning of this year, we've, we've been in a consistent and sustained bear market. So it's been tough. Our job is to, to give our investors overall exposure to crypto assets and give a broad, long only exposure into the crypto asset uh, space. Uh, so we're a long only fund. And so that's experienced some losses and, and that's difficult. But our, our secondary goal really is to beat the index. So there are a couple indexes. We follow the CCI 30 index, which is probably the most known crypto index. And so our job is to, to beat that passive investment model and beat the index. And we've done that handily this year. So there's a bit of both. 
If you guys are a long-only investment fund, how, as the one who runs that fund, manage the emotional side of a loss, or a, or how do you manage your investors' expectations? Right when they, if they started investing in sixteen, seventeen, here's eighteen, and you know it's it's not looking good. I mean, we're we're excited about green right now because F is at two twenty. <laughs> yeah. How do you manage those emotions? Because you sound very tactical when you talk about what you did with EOS. Yeah, I think it's a so, layered approach. One of the, the issues is uh, for most retail investors, it's important to just come in with the, the appropriate amount of your total portfolio. You know, we're talking about two to five percent, maybe up to 10 percent. You know, if you're looking at five percent of your total portfolio, you're not overexposed to any, you know, to the crypto asset class. So I think it's important. Position size is very important. I think it's important to have a long term view on the asset class. You know, we're talking about a very nascent industry that has just started and we can look at some explosive returns and explosive opportunity, um, but there's going to be volatility with that. So it's important for me to, to set expectations with our limited partners about what the overall objective is and time horizon is and, and position size. I think just setting that context is very helpful. I think the second aspect is to have an investment strategy and have systems and processes in place so that you're removing the emotion out of the equation. I use a multi-strat investment approach, but most of the time I'm using tactical asset allocation. I want to have target percentages for each of my positions in the portfolio. If we're lower than that position, then I want to start adding to that position. And if we're higher than the target percentage, then I'm going to start selling some of that position. You know, that mm -hmm. helps me take a very systematic approach to buying low and selling high. And that is going to help me pull that out of the equation. So I think that's really important as well. I guess my question is, is that how you explain it to your investors when they're sending you emails like, what the hell, man? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't get those emails like that from our investors. They know this is a long-term approach. They know this is a very volatile asset class and you know they're sophisticated investors and they know uh, what can come from this asset class, which is a lot of volatility. Uh, a lot of months we're looking at 10 to 40% volatility per month. It could be up or down 10 to 40% per month. So we're, we're really managing that. I think it's important, you know, I have quarterly newsletters and it's important to, to keep uh, LPs informed and to give them my overall take on the market. And I think just having that long-term view of what's possible with crypto is very important. So, so, you, so you have this long-term view of what's possible with crypto now, but you're looking at these companies. Let's look, let's look at the, some of these companies. Let's look at some, some of these ICOs or these companies that are, or foundations or organizations that are doing something on the blockchain. They raise $100 million right off the bat with no milestones, no products, no nothing. That's different than, say, the venture financing model, you know, which, you know, you'd have different stages of investment, a little bit here, a little bit there, and what have you. Here's my personal opinion about this really quick. It's insane that companies are allowed to raise $100 million off the bat and have nothing to show for it. And still, years later, have nothing to show for it. If you're looking at this as an investment model and people are, you know, maybe this is part of the index fund, is the, do you take that into account and do you agree with these ways of raising capital? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we have a real problem with that Wild West approach. I mean, even earlier in Q1 of this year, there was a report out that 46% of the ICOs from 2017 had already failed. So for the most part in our fund, we do not invest in ICOs. We're on a secondary market looking for exchange-traded liquid assets. You know, we're taking kind of the Goldilocks approach to, to crypto assets. We're not looking for the ICO latest project that's going to give a, a thousand bagger. We see that as too risky or too hot. They don't have a product built yet. And yet we don't want to take that passive index approach where we're just buying the top 10 crypto assets. You know, we really see that as, as too cold and, and not capturing enough of the upside. So our model is that mid cap Goldilocks approach where we're looking at network value or market cap of crypto assets between $100 million and $2 billion. And that's really our, our sweet spot. 
And we think that gives the best risk-adjusted returns from the blockchain space. Aaron Paul, what do you think, man? Like, look, you have companies that raise $100 million. They might have been ICOs, and they could be liquid now. They could be exchange-traded, but they still have no project. And they have you know, $100 million of uh, the investors' dollars that they might call contributors. Do you, do you think that this... I don't even think this is Wild West anymore. I think that the Wild West was there because everybody was greedy. But what we have is a lot of people that did, I would say, borderline illegal fundraising practices. What do you think, Aaron? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I think that one of the things that excited me about the space is that I had a rare opportunity in time to invest in something. I'm old enough that I remember the dot-com bubble. I'm old enough that I remember friends getting into building a website. And, and I was like, man, I missed that shit. I missed it. And I'll be damned if I'm going to miss the next tech, the next wave. And I dabbled a little bit in investing before cryptocurrencies. And when I was talking to my friend, Matthew Aaron, about getting into investing, and he said, hey, man, check this out. And so I did. And I said, wow, this is, you know, because as an investor, you learn in an institutional way or, or as a retail investor, the difference between, oh, you're just a retail investor and this is an institutional investor and they have access to all the candy and you have to sit here with, you know, broccoli, <laughs> right? You got to eat your broccoli first. Yeah. And, and so I came in to the space and I said, wow, I get a chance to be like an angel investor. And then money's disappearing, right? And you're, you're sitting there going, oh, this decentralized anarchic kind of thing, you know, the thing that brings people over to not government ran, the people get to run it. And there's bad actors, and they take your shit. And they took people's shit. As a, just a normal dude, I ask myself, yeah, I mean, and you talk to really smart guys like Richard Burton, right? Remember we had Richard Burton on. He said, why are people trying to build rocket ships when they haven't even built a skateboard? And normally how this works is you get a little bit of money, you build right. a prototype, you build the skateboard, then you build a bicycle, you make sure the bicycle works, and you put a little motor on it, call it a motorcycle. And you keep getting more money as you scale. You can have a vision, but you just get a little bit as you perform. You know, I guess I, I, I kind of feel like what you're saying, Matthew, is there's, there are pitfalls between a decentralized organization and a centralized organization. A centralized organization being all these rules and governance, et cetera, et cetera, and the allure of a decentralized way that anybody can make money, right? So who's in charge? Right. That's a really good point, man. And I really like how you actually made a good segue into who's in charge. Because one of the things that we were talking about the other day, Aaron, and I really like your idea of this, is that a lot of ICOs, and I don't, I want to paraphrase, but you can correct me. And actually, I want uh, Jake's opinion on this, is that there's nobody running the business. Who's running the business? Who's there doing operations, streamlining operations, making sure that their costing is, or they even have a costing structure, you know, managing their P&L. Who is doing this in these ICOs? And are they capable of actually running businesses? We see a lot of people private jets, first class, conferences, speaking, Lambos, uh, yachts, dinners, steak dinners, or whatever they're doing on crypto Twitter. And if that's the CEO and that's what they're doing, who's who's back running the business? So Jake, Business 101, are, are these ICOs, are these companies running a, a proper business and do they have the proper people in place to achieve these goals? I think that's one of the most fundamentally important factors when evaluating ICOs or any of these crypto projects. I mean, a lot of these people just, they may not be malicious, but they just might not have the competence to be able to run an organization and, and build and develop a successful project. So I think for the most part, yeah, there's probably some bad actors, but I think there's there's probably just some incompetence out there. I think Business 101, if we could really get back to some of the basics, pull from best practices that we know in the industry, both technical and financial, the whole entire crypto space is going to benefit. And so I think just getting back to basics, using standard business practices, you know, bringing those in. And, and for us as investors, it's important for us to look at the team and evaluate the team to make sure they have the, the people that have experience in place, the technical know-how, 
but also the operational experience. You know, I want to look into the team and see that they really know how to execute. They know how to plan and execute. And so uh, just like in the venture or angel world, most of it comes down to the team. In the venture world, we, you know, we're looking at the product, the market, the team, and the deal. And the most important thing we're looking at is team. And I think that's the same here in the crypto space. So, Yeah, and I guess that's where I was going to get into because we're going to talk about gripes. When I look at ICOs and you look at the founders and you look at the chief operating officer, the CEO, and the CFO, I think they probably did amazing things. They're brilliant people. But where did the culture come from in this business? Because they're coming from the same industry. They're coming from Silicon Valley. They're coming from the most brilliant tech places across the world. But I don't remember seeing Silicon Valley people who are up and coming flying around and just spending so much money on marketing and fundraising and to raise more funds rather than put their head down and work hard. Well, Aaron, you know, it, where did that where do where do where do you think that came from? Well, where do you think that came from? I mean, let me put Matthew, it, let, me, let me pop this in here real quick, man, because here's here's how, how I think these companies start. You get your boys, and dude, I've heard all your interviews in ICO. You, your boys start an ICO. You raise some funds, and then you sit around drinking beers one day, and you say, "I'm the CFO. You're the CTO. You're the CEO." And then you're like, no, man, I want to be the CEO. So you have all these dudes, even though they might have these great backgrounds, they're, they're probably not in the positions that they should be in. There's no competition for their position because they're the founders of the companies. And what I think that we have to do is look at the lower tier, the second tier of people um, when it comes to running these companies. Because usually, sometimes, I'm going to say usually, it's that one person that they hire to get their shit together. That operation dude that comes from an obscure part or obscure business and they're putting their expertise in streamlining operations or um you know manufacturing or or hospital hospital um streamline operations into their business that actually get the shit done so i in my personal opinion it's kind of like cutting straight through the ceos cfos coos and all the ctos and going to the next guys who's your operation director and where did they come from so, so Matthew, you said you said something pretty cool, and that got me to thinking about bringing average dudes in to run a company, you know, hospitality, service, whatever, right? And it got me to thinking about how do you get them attracted to cryptocurrency, right? And it's kind of like this chicken and egg thing. Once I learned about the industry, I wanted to go all in, but I don't have my tech background. And what else can I do in this industry? Well, I don't know, but I can research and I can invest. And now I, I love it. Like, what's the on-ramp to getting the average consumer in? Is it mass adoption? Is it the, is it the user interface? Is it like, what's the chicken and egg? Does that make sense? Well, I mean, I, I think, I, that, I don't know, I think that's a good question, but I think that the, it isn't about the tech. It isn't about the protocols. It's about uh, getting people to understand that this is an emerging market, getting the average consumer to understand that this is an emerging, emerging field and that they can use their expertise and they could put it anywhere in this field right now. And people are hungry for it. People are hungry for the guy that can run 20 McDonald's in Northeast Ohio because running 20 McDonald's in Northeast Ohio and being a district uh, manager, operator is a hard job no matter what company you're working for. And they have a skill set. Now, does this guy really like working for McDonald's? Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But if you ever wanted a career change, now is the time to use his skills and put those in practice in one of these emerging companies and make their operations mm -hmm. run smoothly, making the designer, the UX designer, the or whoever, put them into this company and have them know what makes a good app, what makes a good product. Jake, what do you think about mm -hmm. this? Yeah, I mean, I think there is going to be just like you, tons of opportunity. It will probably start with the nerds. It's going to start with the tech nerds and the financial nerds, <laughs> just like the internet. And it's going to be the games players, people who play a lot of games, people who are uh, into finance and investing. It'll start with, you know, those deep affinity, those deep uh, people who are interested in either of those two pockets, and it'll grow from there. There will be another you know, crypto kitties that comes on the scene and it's going to have 10 or a hundred times, you know, the effect and the user base. There's going to be many more dApps like that that will come on. There'll probably be games or, or something specific like that, you know, that we're not thinking about and bring more users in. 
And then I think ultimately, as more users come in, like you, I think the investing aspect, it's not just even investing, it's being able to participate and contribute and also have aligned incentives and to be able to, you know, financially benefit from from contributing. So I think that is a new model for the most part. If you go onto Facebook and you do 100 posts or whatever, you're not getting a check in the mail. You know, that's just not possible. And so what's possible with this whole new paradigm is to be able to get paid and really see financial benefit from your contribution. And that's just going to be transformational. Hey, everyone. I am super excited to tell you this special news. The Crypto 101 team, myself and Daniel Salem, wrote a book. It's called Crypto 101, Johnny's Guide to Cryptocurrency. And in this book, we follow an old friend of ours, Johnny, who has been popping up in episodes for over the past year to get the 101s on technology, terminology, and blockchain. And in this book, he goes through everything a noob might need to know about getting into crypto. From the FOMO, the FUD, the 14 stages of emotions, the terminology, the technology, and it's all wrapped up in an amazing story following Johnny, his family, and his friends. It's not a boring read, and it's for everyone. For your kids, for your parents, for yourself. So please keep an eye open for Johnny's Guide to Cryptocurrency coming the beginning of November so you can pick it up for your family, your friends, for Christmas. It's a great read, but you don't have to take my word for it. Now, back to the show. I think we can still get more talented people in there if they have access to the currency. And then they're going to want to be more involved in it. Then they're going to want to send a message and say, hey, I do this, this, and this in this area, and you guys suck, and here's how I can help you. I want to help you. right? I'm all in. But there's no way to spend that. There's not even companies, and I was just thinking about this today. Who's paying people or who's even giving them the option to pay them in cryptocurrency? Because I think we talk about wallets all the time, which wallets, we can gripe about wallets here just in a second because Matthew's got a huge thing on wallets. But I'm pissed. Why well, don't you? How come? How come companies pay some? How come? Well, yeah, I, I did an interview with a company that's like, hey, we gotta be the bank for cryptocurrency or ICO companies because we gotta ru- we gotta run it in the real world. How are you? I, and I and I mean this with all respect because they're great guys and I think they're doing great. But my my question still remains: Why are you in the space if you don't want to participate in the space? For me, I think just it comes, you know, it'll come from the developing nations first, not the developed nation. So I think there are, you know, three or four or five billion unbanked. I've heard a story, an anecdote about, you know, a company or an organization. I think it was a nonprofit organization in Afghanistan or Iran, you know, and it was a, a woman organization and they didn't want to pay women. So instead, this woman... Uh, you know, figured out she could pay in Bitcoin and no, that didn't raise any alarm bells. And ultimately, they were able to pass and send along and generate money and, and get paid. And so I think there'll be many, many stories like that coming from the developing world. And it'll probably start there in the developing nations, probably faster than in the developed. What do you think, Matthew? When it comes to the currencies and the payments, of course, I think that whoever is in the space should be using the currency or whatever their token mm-hmm. is. Um, even us as Crypto 101 Media, we operate entirely in cryptocurrency because it would be stupid. <laughs> and honestly, I'm rather embarrassing if somebody had said, hey, uh, I'm going to call you out on it. And we're sitting there running around with USD and the pound and stuff like that, you know, making transactions. Mm-hmm. I would be embarrassed. I don't. I personally don't think that currency. When I first got in, man, I was all about currency. I was all about currency payments, blockchain. Go, go buy bread and cereal and beer with with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's yep. going to be the case. I think that it, blockchain technology is going to be used in currencies. It's going to be by a government. It's going to be the U.S. dollar on the blockchain. It's going to be the pound on the blockchain. And I, I just don't. I see that even if Bitcoin is a commodity, if it's something like the digital gold which I think is a possibility. I think 
Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months, but don't worry when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recordings. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Ufi video lock is 24 seven. So you don't have to worry about any issues you have and it comes with an 18 month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. There's going to be uh, second layer protocols that's going to be built on top of Bitcoin to do all kinds of different things. But I think that when it comes to currency, when it comes to payments, it's going to be the U.S. dollar still. And it's just going to be maybe on the blockchain. So I think that all of these other currencies that are, are out are just kind of going to, going to go away because nobody's going to ever use them. Or they're just going to be some kind of investment tool that people are going to use, say, to hopefully pump it and then uh, dump it. Um. And, you know, the, the privacy aspect of, you know, like Monero and all these uh, privacy coins is, is very interesting for certain kinds of businesses that could be used. But I just don't think it's to be the mainstream. I mean, look, I was just in the States the other day and it, I only get back there every couple of years, you know. So when I was there and I just put my chip into the card reader and then I'm gone without Pain pressing a in the ass. It, it's it, pain in the ass. Why is it a pain in the ass, man? I don't even have to add, add, enter my pin. It's there and boom, done. It, costs, it takes me five what? seconds. No. Dude, I, I was... Where the headache is. You, uh, hang on. Let me, let me back up. Let me back up. I'm surprised you're not griping about this because I was getting ready to say this is why wallets are a thing. Every time I go to a convenience store, I have to stick my card into the thing. And sometimes the card reader is not working and say insert chip or swipe card. And I swipe the card and they're like, if debit, do this. If credit, do that. <laughs> and then they're like, then like, are you sure you want this? Yes, I want this. Sorry. And then sometimes there's a tag that says, sorry, chip reader doesn't work. And I'm sitting there. And if the phone connection's not right, I just it takes forever to freaking check out. And if all I had to do was grab my crypto wallet and just put my finger on the phone and put my QR code on, I think currencies exist. Dude, they I, do. Dude, Starbucks, I, I was I was in the States and I got the Starbucks app. I ordered a Starbucks on my way to Starbucks and that shit was waiting for me when I got there and it paid for it off my app. I walked in the store, Beautiful. grabbed a coffee and left. I thought I was a fucking thief. I was like, is this for real? <laughs> hey, it's funny I'm, that you say Starbucks because, you know, Starbucks and Microsoft have gotten together with forming Backed and they're looking to create a solution that's exactly what you're talking about. It would be able to use cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and it would be a clearinghouse and it would be a custody solution. You know, it was a major announcement. And so I think companies are looking to have end consumers use digital currency. 
opportunities to be able to to buy. But ultimately, I think the the first people that can benefit in the developed nations are businesses. I mean, the worst is you know running a business. You send out an invoice. If they're even using digital veneer, that you're getting a, a, a you don't even get a wire. You know, for the most part, we're using the. Uh, ACH. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The the biggest issue is you, you know, you send out an invoice, you want to get paid not by check or through the mail. And and the best option in the US is to get an ACH payment. Mm -hmm. Well, how long does that take to settle? That takes like three to five days to settle. Mm -hmm. I mean, people could literally FedEx cash and get a settlement of an invoice, you know, our current quote unquote electronic version with an ACH payment. So there's just tons of, you know, value creation and and benefit for businesses to be able to be paid with digital currency, I think. I I need to backpedal a little bit here before I get uh, totally destroyed by the listeners. When I said that I think it's going to be the U.S. dollar, and I think you're you're 100% right, it's going to be people like Walmart. Walmart already has Walmart Cash, the Walmart app. You could have it on your iWatch and, you know, pay pay with your iWatch and Apple Pay and stuff like that. That When I say that that's going to be blockchain and that's going to be the currency, uh, that's just the way I feel. However, with Bitcoin in general, uh, it is the most amazing social experiment ever. It has given a power to the people, if we decide to use it, to escape all of the currencies, all of the banks, all of the systems, all of the governments, the governance, and any other thing we want because of the way it's set up, the inherent value of blockchain. So... Yes, I, I think that it's going to go one way, but it doesn't mean that it couldn't go other ways. And we have the tools now to initiate that movement. Yeah, very much. I mean, I think, you know, Bitcoin and especially the layer two, I think people who are investing in some of the cryptocurrencies uh, that, that, that they see as faster than Bitcoin are going to be surprised when, you know, when layer two solutions and the lightning network comes in. No, I I agree. I think that, in my opinion, we have to figure out a way to attract people as well. One of the things that I fear, and even though, I, like I just said, that I think it's going to be the U.S. dollar on the blockchain and the Walmart coin on the blockchain, this is only because of our passive nature as consumers. We wait to see what comes out, then we start using the best one. You know, there's a little competition between the companies, and then, you know, hey, we're going to use Walmart cash or, or Starbucks coin or whatever. But I think that we need to have a segue. We need to have a an in with the average consumer or the mass market or the moms and the pops to have them understand how we want this to go because I think it's still them that can make this movement progress. I, I think, and it was one of my gripes, is that I, I, you just mentioned Laura Shin. And Laura is one of the only people, and Aaron Paul and Matthew Aaron actually, uh, are one of the only people that use our real names in the crypto space. You know, you you have most people that are really vocal, great followers, great ideas, thought leaders, and they go by BitDemigod or CryptoFrog or Bitcoin (laughs) Batman. And you're like, these are our representatives to the masses. So when is Bitcoin Batman going to start saying, hey, I'm Bruce Wayne? And take off the collar on the cape and start talking to the average consumer because, hey, you know what? We need your help. And as fun and as entertaining as Bitcoin Batman might be, he is not going to be taken serious by the media, the people, the mom and pop investors or the conservative investor that says, hey, you know what? I work hard for my money. I've been doing this for 30 years at my company to set up, buy, to pay off my house, to set up a little bit of pension, my 401k, and now I have Bitcoin Batman saying that this is the next big thing? Yeah, that's painful. I mean, there was a documentary on CNBC and it was it was like a crypto documentary and I, I was really excited. And then half the, the documentary is really good. It's like, it follows a lot of the, the players in crypto. But but half the documentary was about some guy named Crypto Kid, you know, who lives in a treehouse and is, you know, very eccentric. Like none of that is bringing credibility. And it seems like those are the stories that the media seems to glom onto. And we're just not going to be able to get real credibility with that. So that's got to be addressed. So with that being said, I feel like we've circled back around to how do we get the average person 
into the space is one we talked about we got to get them access to it they have to be able to use it and we have to have professional representatives average professional representatives representing them and talking to them and encouraging them and getting them into the space and letting them have a real look and when we're talking about gripes because that seems to be the subject matter man i hate the modern media i cannot stand the modern media and you had Ray redacted on. Awesome. On Crypto 101. Awesome. Because Ray said, look, love the space. I'm paraphrasing. Love the space. Do your own research. But he, I, I think, Matthew, he might have been one of the first people, I've listened to so many episodes, but one of the first people that I can remember clearly who said, but you really need to look at the other side. You need to read that book by that guy who's like, it's never going to work and come to your own conclusion. But there's so much of the institutional, there's no question that there's manipulation in this market. No question. So if there's no question that there's manipulation in this market, if some people, if there's some subset of people who are so wealthy who can control that market from Wall Street, that same money's controlling the media. So if you hate, if you don't want those guys there, why are you listening to the to the buddies they're financing? I want to I want to stop there real quick and say and answer that one. Why are we listening to the buddies that's fine financing? Why are we listening to the buddies that are in control of the media? Because that is what we just said. Our representative is crypto kid living in a freaking treehouse. <laughs> but you know it's really I'm hard Batman, to get the, the average way. person to not look at you know, CNN or CNBC or Forbes or what have you. And CNN just the other day, I think it was just yesterday, put out a headline that says, guys, Bitcoin went to half a million dollars, then lost it all. And he dude, lost it all. I saw that. It lost it all. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's freaking impossible that he lost it all if he was invested in the Bitcoin. If he bought a month before, it's all time high. He bought at 7,900. I mean, I was yep. looking at the history of the yep. prices. Then he went, went up. He got 500,000. He still has six figures sitting there in Bitcoin. Just wait. He didn't lose yep. it all. But no, they sensationalized yep. it. And why are we going to pay attention to him? Why is the mom and the pop going to pay attention to him? Because it's CNN. And they have guys in there that, yep. that have proper names. And they're dressed nicely. And they're talking to you on the news. And they mm -hmm. have a great platform. And it's not in a treehouse. I agree. 100%. There's nothing more to say about that. <laughs> Eric, no. Continue your thought. Or Jake, yeah, hey. continue your thought, please. <laughs> I'm done. No, I mean. Do you want to take an offering too while you're at it, Matthew? Preach it. I was just, I was saying preach it. Oh, oh yeah. I'm, I'm passing out the, around the basket right now, by the way. <laughs> I don't nice. know. I have, a, I have a grape. I guess it'd be, you know, we're in a bear market and all we talk about is losses. But really, if you invested in Bitcoin just this time last year, you'd still be up 50%. Right. You know, if, if you had invested in Ether, I'm not sure where it was up. I think I started in at around 88 bucks last summer, you would be up. So I think people really need to take that longer term perspective. I'm not even talking five or 10 years. I just mean, you know, a year or two. If you were invested in crypto assets a year or two ago, you are doing extremely well. Extremely so well. Volatility is here. It's a nascent and, and it's a very volatile market. But my gripe is to have some perspective, losing uh, some now against the 10,000 percent you know, rise we've had from 2017 or, or wherever you're at. I just think let's have some perspective. I, I, Jake, can you give us some perspective on that? You've been around for a bit. You've been around for a minute. You got a nice pedigree and you can, you were talking to us offline. And I just, I, I want to remind you of the conversation we had because I, I, I really would like to put this at the end in a, you know, in a positive light. When you take the long-term view and you talk about investing in your passions, you said to us that we are in a 50-year cycle. And to not be so micro, look at the macro. Can you, can you tell us where you think we're at in that 50-year cycle and, and kind of tell the, maybe reframe that or, yeah, give us some context to that conversation we had offline, please. Yeah, absolutely. A book I read earlier last year, it's by Carlotta Perez. It's uh, kind of known in the venture capital community, and it's titled Technological Revolutions and Financial Capital, The Dynamics of Bubbles and Golden Ages. And she really outlines that there's a long wave, you know, a 50 or 60 year long wave economic cycle, and it's driven by technological revolution. You know, over the past 200 years, you know, she's explained how this has happened, 
You know, the first one was in the 18th century with the Industrial Revolution. And then we had the age of steam and railways. And then the age of steel and electricity. And then in the early 20th century, we had the age of oil and mass production. And our last big technological revolution was the age of information and telecommunications. And so we have these short wave credit cycles, but the long wave economic cycles that are really driven by technology. And ultimately, we have, we've started a new technological revolution. And I think it started in, in 2009, you know, with the invention of, of blockchain. Now, I don't think blockchain is the specific focus of this age, but I think it's a very important mechanism within the entire structure. And I really think we're in an age of autonomization. So you see AI and you see robotics and you see the, the Internet of Things, and they're all converging into autonomous. You, you see agents and and drones and all types of autonomous agents. And I believe that that is the fundamental driver of the next age. I think crypto, we're about 10 years into the next cycle. And so these, uh, these 50 year cycles have structure to them. You know, they have phases and, uh, and we're in the beginning, we're in the beginning of the second phase. So the first phase is really just about understanding the technological breakthrough that's happened. And then the second phase is a gilded age, not a golden age, not where we actually create value, but a gilded age where we have, you know, that tulip mania or that uh, idea of a big mania cycle. And I still think we have a much bigger mania cycle that's going to be ahead of us. The ultimate end of that second phase is going to be a crash. And that's when we kind of reform and re-govern and then really start to build some of the real things that get deployed into the new space. So, you know, in 1999, we had the last crash from the Internet age. And it wasn't until the early 2000s and, and mid-2000s when we got Google and we got some of the, the companies that weren't, you know, web vans and some of the, the crazy dot-com companies that ultimately died in, mm. in 1999. So... That's, I think that book is a great book, and I think it sets context for where we're at and a good investment thesis for how big crypto could be because I think it's a really big component of autonomization. That's an that's a amazing thought, and I'm, I'm, I just have a pet peeve that is kind of related is that everybody compares blockchain and cryptocurrency to the internet. They always ask that question, what, <laughs> what year do you think we're in in terms of the internet of, for blockchain? Everybody's like, oh, we're in 1994. In my opinion, that's like asking somebody that's just driving the first automobile, like a Model T, what year in horse and buggy do you think we're in? It's just, yeah. it's you can't compare. You, there is no way for anybody with a horse and buggy to know what the car would do to the landscape. It carved, it shaped our landscapes globally. We have parking lots and garages and driveways up to houses. Transportation has changed. The idea of taking a trip has changed. You know, and, and you have a horse and buggy back in the day, you'd camp. This is what you do. I said, I have to go 50 miles down the road. You stop 20 miles, camp, take a rest, and you pack back up and you go. Here, we go camping for fun. <laughs> it's not traveling. You know, so like we just have no clue of where this technology is going. So my pet peeve is you have to stop comparing it to the internet in 1994. We have to start thinking, how is this going to shape our landscape, shape our society, shape our minds? And how are we going to help get it to the places where we want to go to benefit mankind to benefit everyone yeah i hear you i think that's the the genius about uh carlota perez's work is that she builds that framework and so you know all technological revolutions that 50-year cycle have similar structure and so we use the internet age because some of us can relate and remember it most of us can't remember the industrial revolution or the steel revolution and so we can't make any analogies that would be relatable to anybody but i do think that there is a, a framework and uh, phases to these long wave cycles and so a lot of people in 2017 
were relating to to us being like in 1998 or 1999. But I think if you talk to any developers, they're going to say, no, we're more like in 1993 or 1994. So I know it's a pet peeve of yours, but I I do think the analogy does hold a little bit. <laughs> and I think we're we're a lot earlier than most people think. You know, in 1994, we had email, we had some web pages, but we didn't have broadband. I can remember in 1997 going around to businesses saying, you know, hey, I can build you a, you know, a web page. And they're like, well, what would that do me? Right. Like, well, you can advertise your business. Well, how are they going to find me? And I had no answer to them. Right. Know, we didn't really have search engines yet. So. I think it, the analogy does hold a bit, and I think it does help a bit, but I understand. Jake, in this space, there's a lot of news. There's a lot of people to follow. You, There's crypto Twitter. There's Facebook. There's people on you know, CNNBC, people writing blogs on Medium. And all over the place, you can find people. But who are some of the people you follow to get the what's up in blockchain and cryptocurrency? Yeah, I mean, like you, I, I like to listen to a lot of podcasts. I think from the financial world, I like to follow people, you know, that are big in the financial world that have converted to crypto, like maybe Mike Novogratz, you know, and some of his team, or Brian Kelly, who's on CNBC's Fast Money. At least some of these people are from the financial world, and they've they've converted into crypto. There's a lot of people from the venture community. I mean, you know, Fred Wilson from Union Square Ventures and, you know, the Andreessen Horowitz and, you know, Chris Dixon, I think is great um, to, to really listen to. I like to listen and, and read a lot of the economists from the 1930s. I think books that have held and stood the test of time can give, you know, perhaps more and better uh, information than the latest tweet. So, you know, if people are talking about the Austrian school of economics, then I want to read about, you know, the top two or three economists of the 1930s. I think there's a lot of, you know, relative value there. They were worried about a lot of the same things that we're worried about. They were worried about authoritarianism and they were worried about fascism. They were worried about hyperinflation. You know, they were worried, uh, the Austrian Economists, they were really worried about excess credit. And so they had a, a belief in repudiation of excess credit. And so they have a lot of good models that I think are applicable today. And so it could be a wide range uh, of people, but, um, but those are some. You mentioned books, You're an, you, and I'm, I love reading books. I haven't had as much time as I would like here lately. Everybody told me I wouldn't have enough time to read books after I had a kid. I guess they were true. You talk about reading a lot. What books or book made the biggest impact in your life and or what book or books maybe impacted you during a season in your life? Because, you know, we all have different seasons in our lives where each season is very impactful that leads us to who we are today. I think in, in 2000, back then, books like Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad, Poor Dad and some of his writing really helped me see the entrepreneurial side. And so I really mm -hmm. found his books really valuable at that time in my life. And that helped me start a company. And so I found that really a great read. This time around, probably the one of the biggest books was four or five years ago, reading uh, Anti-Fragile by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. I thought that was a really mm -hmm. great book. He's the author of he you know, Black, Black Swan. Swan. Right? Okay, yeah. Yep, exactly. And, and he has this idea of anti-fragile and... It's, it's things that gain from disorder. And so he has this really novel concept. Um, and, and I think it really applies to investing in economics. So that one was great. The one I mentioned before um, by Carlota Perez, uh, Technological Revolutions in Financial Capital, made a very big impression um, for me. I really love uh, Taleb's writing. So I've read all his books. Uh, his latest one, I think, was Skin in the Game. Skin in the game. Was, yeah, I have that in my. Yeah, uh, Naval talks about that a lot. And uh, what did you think of that? I thought it was great. I thought it was really good. It was more readable and more relatable than some of his other books. And so I thought that was mm. great. Again, those 1930 uh, Austrian economists, I like Frederick Hayek with The Road to Serfdom and a couple of his books, um, von Mises with The Theory of Money and Credit, and some of those, those older books that I think are really great. So all of those have made an impression and have formed my investing opinion. Well, I can nerd out on books all day long, but I have to make one mention of an old book. It's an oldie, but a goodie. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill is a timeless book. Oh, sure. 
I, yeah. I try to read it once every couple of years. Great book, not really big, huge impact. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that one. My, uh, my choice is actually Crypto 101, Johnny's Guide to Cryptocurrency coming out in early November. But nobody, nobody's read that yet besides me, so I'm looking yeah, forward to it. nobody's read that besides you. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. I got to send you book. a copy still. I want my book, man. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> Mr. Jacob Ryan, I want to say thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101, talking to Aaron and myself. And I look forward to having you on the show more in the future, talking about a variety of topics. Oh, that sounds great. Thanks, guys. It was really great to be here. And I appreciate you having me on. This was great. But before we go, Thanks, we, need to, we need to ask you, what three songs would you like on our Crypto 101 Spotify playlist? How about Ring of Fire? Ring of oh, Fire. Wow. Like, are you talking about the... Um, oh, okay. There's this group, Angel City Chorale, who was on uh, America's Got Talent. They had a song, Africa. It was a awesome. remake that was awesome, so I listened to that. All right. That's going to make it on there, too, um, with Ring of Fire. One more, sir. What do you got for us? How about Tom Waits, Old 55? There you go. Those are now forever cemented in Crypto 101 history as your songs. Hope you enjoy them. <laughs> All right, brother. It was nice talking to you. Thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101. Thank you. Mr. Aaron Paul, we'll talk to you later and we'll see you in future episodes of ICO 101, sir. Peace out, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Aaron, Jake, thanks for coming on the show. And for all the listeners, if you have any questions, comments, please reach out to us on our Facebook, on our Twitter, or at our email. You can find our email on our website, Crypto101Podcast.com. In our next episode, we have an ICO 101 episode with Mr. Aaron Paul, where he interviews the chairman of the Ergo Foundation, Mr. Phil Zamani. But before we go, like always, ApogeeCrypto.com, that's A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place for your real-time prices, CryptoNews.com for your news, and we will see you in the next episode of, well, ICO 101. We'll see you next time. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.